gospel. And sometimes we lose, sometimes we lose, the story is lost in translation. And as this little boy was uh, feeling his mom's stomach, I can imagine that the things going through his mind, the bewilderment, the shock, not knowing exactly what was in there, what was happening, not knowing the whole process. But in his mind, from that moment, he began to worry and just, I'm sure going home, looking at his mom in the weirdest way, hoping that she wasn't going to have him for dinner. Right? Well, last week, there was a, a mighty word of God spoken in this church. God began to speak that there would be one church, and in this church, that God would begin to move, and God would begin to do great wonders and miracles, and God would begin to bring the community to, a, to salvation. And he began to speak about the light. And then he began to say of all the things that would happen, and he would use us no matter what we had, how little or how great our gift was, whatever we had, even if it was a withered hand, God would use it. Well, I went home. My wife wasn't able to make it because she had family here. My father-in-law and mother-in-law celebrated their 50th anniversary, and we had family in town. So my wife wasn't able to make church, and upon getting home from, a, from an amazing service, my wife asked me, how was church? And I said, it was really good. And that was, those were my words. Okay, those were my words. Lo and behold, there's a woman in this church that loves my wife and really got a hold of the word that God had given that morning and just began to text her of all the great things that were spoken. My wife looks at me and says, I guess you and we're not at the same service. <laughs> I'm not going to say her name, but I guess you two were not at the same service because that's, you didn't tell me any of this. And you know, sometimes we lose things in translation, right? We, we, we experience something in our lives, and in the translation, we begin to lose what God has given us, what God has done, or maybe God begins to speak with us, and we have a hard time communicating what God has given us. And this morning's story is found in John chapter 4. If you have, a, you have your Bible or if you want to read it on the top, um, I, I want to share with you a story that I believe this chapter is an amazing chapter in the Bible. John chapter 4 tells us of a story that many of us have heard over and over and over. In fact, if I even tell you right now that this is the woman at the well, sometimes we mention that and it's just a few words, the woman at the well. But there is so much that is lost in translation, so much that we tend to miss. I believe that even in this story alone, books could be written just on this one chapter of what happened at the well that day. And I'm going to go ahead and start on that this morning. John chapter 4, verse 1 begins to read. I have a backup here because... Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that, there was, that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks the water, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty. Again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have, five, you, have, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that, this place, that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the, the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are kind, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is a spirit, and He and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, will he explain everything to us? Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Verse 27, just as the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to, work, and to finish his work. Do you, don't you have a saying, it is still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. 
Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard, ourselves, now we have heard for ourselves what we know this man, and we know that this man is really the Savior of the world. This text is really, really rich. I just want to point out that even in Jesus going through Samaria, he had a plan. Him sitting at the well was not an accident. Him sitting at that well was a choice that he made because he had a plan not only for that woman, but for the city sicker. He had an important plan devised, but... I believe that Jesus sent his disciples away. Now, if you, if, if you remember the story, the Word of God says that the disciples were not with him. They were in the city buying food. Now, if I sent any one of you, if I sent my father-in-law to go buy food without his car, and he had to walk to Albertsons down the road and come back and bring food, it's not going to take a little bit of time. It's going to take quite a while for anyone in here to walk down the road, go to Albertsons, get everything we need, and then come back and bring the food. So Jesus, Jesus obviously had time to spend with this woman. He obviously had a plan. This woman walks up. There was a divine appointment. And Jesus began to speak to her and speak into her life. I'm reminded, of the, I'm, I'm reminded real quick of the story. I'm going to turn there. I'm not going to go there just yet. Now, in Jesus having a plan to reach this city of Sychar, I would think, and the carnal mind would think, that if Jesus had a plan to reach the city, to spread the gospel, that he wouldn't have met with a woman. In these times, it was not common for a man to speak to a woman. Even more uncommon for a Jewish man to speak to a Samaritan woman. It was very uncommon to find the Jewish and the Samaritans together because there was a love-hate relationship, mostly a hate relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans because they called them half-breeds. They were half-Gentile and half-Jew. They were not true Jews. So when the Jews looked upon them and they began to look at them, the, the way they began to worship because of the, of the coming together of the Gentile and the Jew, there was some idolatry in their worship. Because of the coming together of the Gentile and the Jew, there was, the word had been obscured. Not to say that they didn't believe in Christ, not to say that they didn't believe in the word of God, but their beliefs were a little bit obscured. And because of the Jews and the Gentiles, because of the Jews and Samaritans having this rift and this fight, it was not normal for them to come together and speak. I would have thought that if Jesus wanted to win a city, he would have gone to where the men of importance where he would have gone to maybe where the mayor was or the city councilors or maybe a doctor or a businessman or maybe even into the synagogues and begin to teach the priests about what he was going to do and the coming the coming what was to come and how he was going to bring salvation to this world but that's not what happened what had happened was that God Jesus designed a divine appointment between a Samaritan woman and himself to come together and there was going to be a miracle that happened because of one woman's obedience in what Christ had shown her. 
Jesus would not only, was, his plan was not only to bring the Samaritans and that city to him, but first of all, his plan was to bring salvation into this woman's life. Now, as I begin to look at the story, I begin to think that this woman had five husbands. She had a man that she was not married to. Obviously, there was something going on in her life. There must have been some type of rejection. Maybe she had been raped, abused. Maybe she was just seeking the love of men. Maybe she was, had fleshly desires that she could not control, and she just tried man after man. I don't know. But there was a need that Jesus recognized. And the Jesus that I know is not the Jesus that points fingers and says, yes, you are right. You do not have a husband. You've had five. That's not the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know speaks to us with love and compassion. And I can imagine Jesus there sitting on the well. Again, I know that this had to have been lost in translation. Some, something in here got lost in translation because if we just read those simple verses, how could this woman so quickly have been transformed that she was willing to go into the city and give her testimony of what Christ had just said and done for her? He took time to sit down with her in the time that it took his disciples to go to the city and buy food. I believe that Jesus sat down with her loved on her, ministered to her, began to show her. I mean, he even went as far as saying, the, the water that this well gives, you're going to be thirsty again. But if you would have really wanted to be satisfied, there's that song, uh, that this, this reminds me of that song that, that was written in 1965 by a, in 1965 by um the Rolling Stones, satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. You guys have heard that song, right? And I try, and I try, and I try. And, you know, in our lives, that's a funny song, but in our lives, isn't that the way we are when it comes to the things of the world? We try to get satisfaction in things that only bring temporal satisfaction. Yes, it may be satisfying for a moment, but just like that water, you're going to thirst again. You can drink a full glass of water, you can drink a gallon of water, but it doesn't matter when time passes. In the passing of time, that water didn't quench the thirst that, you're, that you continue to have. If we can look and we begin to see what Jesus said, that the, that the things that you're looking for, the things that you're thirsting for, they're not in this world. Those things that you're seeking are not in men. They're not in relationships. They're not in marriages. That thing that you're seeking for is sitting right here. I am He. You see, when we begin to know living and loving God, and He begins to come into our lives and fill our hearts and fill our minds, no longer are we trying to fill the void in our lives because that's what it is. It's a void in our lives. We're trying to fill that void with drugs, alcohol, maybe the opposite sex, maybe it's TV, video games, whatever it may be. We try to fill that void with so many other things when Christ said, if you would understand that those things only bring temporal satisfaction, but I, 
I will bring eternal satisfaction. If you come to me, I will give you the living water. I will allow you. I will give you that peace. I will give you that love. I will fulfill you like you've never been fulfilled. I will give you satisfaction in your home. I will give you satisfaction in your marriage. I will give you satisfaction with your children in your job. We don't need to be changing job after job, seeking woman after woman, man after man. We just need to seek satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And I believe he began to minister to her and begin to share with her and just sat down with her and begin to love on her because the God I serve, he's a mighty God. Amen? Okay. This is not working for me. Uh, you know, if, if, you, if you have children or grandchildren and you, have a, and you happen to have a, an electronic device, man, you might as well just give it to them. <laughs> that is not a lie. I'm not. I have, I have my, I have this thing and so many advertisements. Everything's coming up on it. I don't even know what he did to it anymore. It, it, it now belongs to my grandson. So I'm going to abort that and we're going to go on. We're going to move on. But in, in John 3, 16, verse 17, the Word of God says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whomsoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, I love this verse. And this is where I can see that Jesus Christ, his heart, his love, his compassion come out. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. If we go on in John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11, we find the story of a woman caught in adultery. And this woman, as she's caught in adultery, okay, I don't have that up there, good. As this woman, as she's caught in adultery, they bring her and they bring her to the very feet of Jesus and they throw her before him. And right away, the Pharisees and Sadducees are trying to test him. They want to see what he's going to do. And they, and they point out clearly, the law says that when you are caught in adultery, you are to be stoned. And they throw her before him, trying to see what he's going to answer, seeing what, he's, what his answer is going to be, trying to find something to use against him. But you see, the God that I serve, the Jesus that I serve, has so much love and so much compassion. He got down on the ground, and he began to draw on the ground. And they looked at him, well, well, what's your answer? And patiently he looks at them, he looks at the woman, and he says, he who has no sin can cast the first stone. Yes, the law did say, the law did say that she should be stoned, that she could be stoned, but my God, my Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He did not come to point a finger. And the problem with so many Christians is that we're so busy pointing our finger at everyone and so many things and sin and degrading people because of their sin that we forget that they are human and they make mistakes. I always pray that I can look at individuals not, and not judge them by the sin in their lives but look at them through Jesus' eyes and see what He sees and see the value that He has, that they have in His eyes. Amen? We should look, we should look on the world with compassion and love. We should bypass, we shouldn't look at someone and label them as a sinner, uh, uh, an adulterer, a uh, drug addict, uh, anything else. There's no labels. They are children of God. And we can't use sin to define who a person is because if, that is our, if that's the way that we begin to look at others, then God can look at us that way. 
The Lord said that in the same manner in which we judge others, we also will be judged. And I tell you what, I know that I deserve, I deserve to burn. I deserve hell. I deserve, the, the Word of God says that the wages of sin is death. I deserve that. But by His grace and by His mercy and because of His love, I have hope. I have eternal life. God has given me, taken me and taken my sin out of my life. He has told me that my sin has forgiven me, that He will never bring it into remembrance again. See, the enemy brings our sin into remembrance and wants you to remember who you were, how you were, the things you did, but that's not the God that I serve. The God that I serve says, I will never, I will never bring that to you. In fact, I will remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west, never to bring it back into remembrance. That is the loving God that I serve. That is a type of God that I love and I understand. And when I see him looking at this woman in the well, and I see the life that she lived, and I can imagine him sitting there at the well just with compassion, loving her, ministering to her, telling her about this living water, telling her about the things that, that, that he can offer through his spirit, telling her that she's been forgiven, telling her that it doesn't matter where you are or where, what's going on right now or what you've done. I want to let you know that I love you. I care about you. I forgive you. That story of the woman that, that was in adultery, Jesus looks to her and, and as everybody began to leave because obviously we've all sinned. Obviously there wasn't one person that was without sin because he said he who is without sin cast the first stone. Everyone threw their stones down. And he looked at her. And I don't think he just looked at her and said, woman, who are your accusers? I think he looked at her with so much love in his face, so much compassion in his face saying, woman, where are your accusers? And she began to weep before him saying, Lord, I have none. Thank you. And he looks at her and says, neither do I condemn thee. Now go and sin no more. That's the Jesus that I serve. That's the Jesus that I know. His plan, first of all, was not for the city. His plan at the well that day was for the woman that needed, that was missing something in her life, that was trying to get satisfaction from men. I'm sure she'd been abused, she'd been hurt. I'm sure that she had been degraded. I'm sure that everywhere that she walked, because we know the way people are, as she would begin to walk down the street, people would point fingers, hey, I know who that is. You know who that is? And look, grabbing their husband by the arm, you get away from her, let's go, let's go over here. You're not going to talk to her. And I can imagine that everywhere she went, she began to be shunned, and she began to, be pu- she began to live with so much rejection. So lonely. She wasn't at the well with her friends. She wasn't at the well with her woman's group. She was at the well on her own. And I want to say this, that the world may not think you're important. People around you may not think you're important. But Jesus thinks you're very important. And He wants to make that divine appointment with you at the well and meet your need. Amen? He wants to make that appointment with you at that well and meet your need and be to minister to you until we find that place where Jesus Christ has ministered to us. We will never know what true salvation, what true healing, 
what true deliverance is because when Jesus takes you aside in your brokenness, in your hurt, in your pain, in your loneliness, when Jesus takes you aside and just begins to love you and lift you up and honor you and build you up and move you on and let you know how important you are to Him. When you can read His Word and say, I know the plans of that God has for me. I am chosen. It's not an accident that I'm here. I am chosen by God. When we can understand the promises and the Word of God in our lives, then we understand what true healing, what true acceptance, what true deliverance is. Because I know that God loves each and every one of us. There's not a single one of you in here that are outside the reach of Jesus Christ. doesn't matter what sin you've done. God will reach in and He will love you. It doesn't matter how many times you've sinned. God will reach in and love you. It doesn't matter where you are right now in your walk with God, whether you're a sinner or not. God wants to reach in and love you and talk to you and get to know who you are and fill you with His joy, His love, His peace, and the fulfillment that comes from His Spirit. Amen? I want to go to verse um, 28. I want to go to the next part of the woman at the well. I know that Jesus Christ ministered to her. I know that he spoke into her life. I know that change came in her life. And in verse... Verse 28 says, Then... Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I, ne I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. This woman was so touched by God. She was so touched by Jesus and all that he said that immediately she even forgot her water jars there. She forgot what she had gone for in the first place. God had so met her need that she immediately left. The joy that she had, the fulfillment that she had now received, the peace that came upon her heart, the love that she felt from this Jesus Christ was so important to her that she, be, she immediately forgot what she went for. She left her jar there. And the moment that the disciples came and they looked at him, and see, that there was a transition that took place here. The disciples walked up Going back, a little, going back a little bit, I'm just going to go back to verse uh, 20, 26, 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? I'm sure there had to have been something that she saw. The, the moment the disciples looked at her and probably saw the way that she was dressed. We have to understand that if this woman had five husbands and she was with another man, she probably was dressed a little lucrative. She probably was trying to influence other men. She probably had, had a look upon her that others begin to judge her immediately. And as the disciples came up, not having the eyes of Christ, this is like, a, like some of us, as the disciples came up, not having the eyes of Christ, immediately they looked at her and they began to judge her. Instantly, everything changed, but God had already done a work. 
God had already done a move. She left her water jar and immediately left and went into the town and began to speak of the things of Christ. Now, there is a change that comes in our heart. Last week, there was a powerful word that was spoken that when we become obedient to God, if we can be obedient to God in the little things, God doesn't care. See, this woman was not a scholar. Why a woman? Why a Samaritan woman? What made her special among everyone else in that city? Why was there Jesus sitting at the well waiting for this woman to come? Because deep inside of her, he knew he had a plan for her. From the moment that he created her, he knew there was a plan for her. He knew there was a purpose in her life. And if she could see and feel his anointing, if she could feel his anointing and see that he was the living God, if he knew that he had designed her and purposed within her heart that she would be able to reach that city. Not the, not the mayor, not the businessmen, not the wealthy people of that city, but she would be able to reach that city. There was such a move within her. She didn't know the Word of God. You see, sometimes we wait that, oh, i got to study, and i got to study, and i got to show myself approved, and then I'm going to go out. The moment that I get rid of that sin, I'm going to go out and talk about God. You see, she had that instant transformation when she met Jesus Christ, and he had such an impact in her life that she said, I'm going to go tell my friends, I'm going to tell everybody I know about this man that just brought me healing, this man that just brought me joy, this man that showed me love. For the first time in my life, I understand what true love is. For the first time in my life, I know what it's like to be free from trying to satisfy myself with thing after thing, person after person, and I understand now that that satisfaction only comes from Jesus Christ. So she walks out and she walks to the city Everywhere she goes, I know a man, I met a man, and he began to speak to me and begin to give her testimony, begin to share what God had done for her. You see, we, don't, we, we, we may not have the Word of God in our heart. You may be new to this. You may not have the Word of God in your heart. You may not know all the words to say, but one thing we do know how to say is our testimony. You know, um, Chip and Joanna Gaines, they have, a, they have a silo in Waco, Texas that they sell a lot of goods out of. And they have this one wall that's solid concrete. And on it, they wrote, they wrote this very, they, they wrote this, um, there's some writing on there on the wall. And it says, I don't want to chop this up. It says, there is gold in every piece of your story. There is gold in every piece of your story. This woman who had a testimony of being a woman that went around with men, of being a a woman with many husbands, when she began to realize what God had done for her, she realized that there was gold in her story. God had now brought a healing. God had now brought her into his salvation, into a knowledge of who he was. And she went out and began to share it with everyone she knew. You see, sometimes God is not asking us to go out there and give a Bible study. God is not asking us to go out there and win the millions. All God is asking us to do is to share our testimony. God's plan for spreading the gospel is not a pastor sitting at the, standing at the pulpit teaching the Word of God. That is not his plan for, for, for spreading the gospel. God's plan for spreading the gospel, as important as our pastor is, 
I'm not downplaying him. He's very important. He's here to edify the body. He's here to lift us up. He's here to pray for us. He's here when we have needs. But God's plan for spreading the gospel is you and I out in the streets sharing the goodness of what he has done for us. We cannot be afraid or ashamed of what God has done for us. Amen? It is not my pastor's responsibility to win this city. It is not Nina's responsibility, it's not Pastor Nina's responsibility to win this city. It is our responsibility. We are His hands. We are His feet. We are His eyes. We need to share the goodness of what He's done in our lives. Every testimony is different. Robert, can I share this, uh, share this real quick? You know, Robert, I asked him to teach for men's prayer, um, to share his, his uh, testimony for men's prayer. And that morning, I think it was the day before that morning or maybe the week before, he said, oh, man, he says, I'm scared. I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. I looked at him. I said, Robert, you can't mess it up. You're the only one that knows that story. <laughs> Amen, right? You're the only one that knows your testimony. No one can mess it up. You know your testimony. No one can tell you, oh, that's a lie. No, it's true. It's true. I was there, witnessed it myself. No one can, you can't mess up a testimony. It doesn't need to be, you know, sometimes we think that our testimonies have to be these great, amazing things. They don't have to be. Sometimes our testimonies come through brokenness. Sometimes our testimonies come in hardship. We were here on, we were here on Friday night. I want to tell you guys, Friday night was an amazing night to be in this church. We had a young man. How old are you? 15 years old. You know, working with youth isn't easy. Sometimes you teach a lesson and you wonder, did I even penetrate? Did, did, they, did I even make any sense? You tell a story and they're laughing and you wonder, are they laughing at me? Are they, what are they laughing at? I don't know. I don't know what they're laughing at, but they're laughing. Well, Friday night, there was a young man that was asked to teach. I was supposed to teach, by the way. But God had better plans. God had more important plans. There was a young man that shared his testimony. Um, Austin. He shared a word and shared his testimony. Austin, will you come to the front real quick? Run, don't walk. Run, 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 run. You're not running, you're walking. Run, run, Austin, run. Come here, come here, come here. So on Friday, on Friday night, he began to share his testimony. And I'm not going to go into that. He's going to have shared on his own one of these days. But he began to share his testimony. And he, as he began to share what God had done for him, how God had moved in his life, what God had brought him out of, what God had brought him through, all the disappointments and discouragements in his life, all the rejection he had gone through, as he began to minister in his testimony, not the Word of God. He didn't talk about someone else. Austin began to talk about himself and what God had done for him and the things that he struggled with that night, Friday night. Normally when we dismiss on a Friday night, and we ask, okay, now is it the altar time? We're going to pray for the young people that have come. The second that we say, you know, if, if you don't want to pray, you can go ahead and leave, and we're going to minister to, you know, our leaders are behind to minister to you. The nor normally, the norm is that 80% of the kids walk out, and we have a few that stay at the 
Just one. That want to be ministered to. That night, after Austin spoke, there were two kids that walked out. And there were about 25 kids that stayed in here, weeping and crying. His testimony was used in a mighty way. Austin, you did a fantastic job. You did a really good job. You see, it doesn't take, the Bible says don't, and, and this, was a, this was a scripture that he used, don't let man look down on your youth, but be an example. Lift up Christ. And I look at Austin that night, and yes, some of us probably have a lot more scriptures memorized than he does. In fact, he even testified that his little brother can say all 66 books of the Bible and he can't say anything. He, he remembers Genesis <laughs> and Revelation. <laughs> but that night, God used a young man, a 15-year-old man, to share his testimony. And there were young people that came and wept and knew that if he could do this for Austin... If God could bring Austin through every situation that he had said that night, that God could bring them through their situation. Amen? Thank you, Austin. I want to encourage you, church. It's not our job to go out there and win the souls. That's God's job. The Bible says, it went on to say that the harvest is ready. There's laborers out there. there we're going to be able to, when you go out there and you begin to share your testimony, we don't have to worry about anything because the Word of God says that there's already been people that have reaped and sowed and there's people that have already planted. There's a lot of work that's gone on into what's out there in this, in this city. There are people going through situations right now that need a loving God. There are people right now that are, that are hurting, that are in sickness, that don't have any hope. And we have hope right here in our hearts, in the Word, not in this building, in our hearts and in the Word of God, we have hope. In our testimony, we can share that hope. And when we begin to share that hope with those in the street, I love, you know, darkness has no power. All darkness is is the absence of light, the absence of light. We're living in a dark city. There's darkness all around us. I walk into a school and I look at the faces of these young men and women. I look at the faces of our principal. I look at the faces of our teachers. And there's hopelessness. They don't have the answers for what's going on around them. I work at a school where the cops are called to daily. I walk into my school thinking I'm going to be able to talk to my athletic director who's the assistant principal. And every single day that I walk in, there's a meeting between him, a parent, and a child. I look at my principal's face And she doesn't know what to do. I look at the teachers. 
and they just want to get by they just want to get through the day they're happy just to make it through the day with the kids that are in their classroom there's so much hopelessness so much darkness all around us and we're walking around with light inside of us we're walking around with the answer who is Jesus Christ and we won't share that light we won't share Jesus because we're afraid because we're afraid are you serious because we don't think we can do anything for Christ are you serious it doesn't from us it comes from him we need to be that light we need to be that voice in the wilderness we need to be that hope we need to share our testimony so that others can know that you know what there is an answer and it isn't me it isn't my church it's Jesus Christ church if we can take anything from the woman at the well let it be this we need to leave our jars behind and go into a town into our town and begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ begin to share the good news of Jesus Christ begin to share the testimonies that are happening in your life and lead them See, this woman, she went into the city and she led all these people back to the well. Not the watering well, but the well of living water. And when he began to speak to them, when he began to minister to them, then they said, we now believe not because of what you have said, because we see the living water ourselves. My job is not to be the living water. Your job is not to be the living water. Our job is to point them to the living water and to share our testimony. Amen. Last week, there was a man here that said that our church would stand out in this city. We are not going to stand out sitting in our chairs. We are not going to stand out being quiet. We are not going to stand out because we are ashamed or afraid of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to stand out because we are the light in dark places. Right. Because we are the voice in the wilderness. I think of the little boy. You know, this is only written in John. It's not written in Matthew, Mark, Mark or Luke. This is only written in John chapter 6. As Jesus began to feed the 5,000, he fed the 5,000 only because of one little thing. There was a boy in the crowd that had two fish and five loaves of bread. And he said, here it is. It's yours. You know, most little boys are selfish. They don't want to give. You, you, you give a little boy something that, that he wants, he ain't going to share it with you. But this little boy knew that what he had was of value. And what you have may not seem like a lot to you. It may seem like a little. But I tell you what, that five loaves of bread and those two fish didn't seem like very much. 5,000 men in this, in, this, in this gathering. And he decides, Jesus decides that he's going to feed them. What's five loaves of bread and two fish going to do? Nothing in my hands. 
But when the little boy gave it over to Jesus, and he said, here you are, Lord. Jesus took what he had, began to break it up. And there were fish sandwiches to go all the way around. The Bible says there was more than enough. In fact, at the very end, they gathered, and there were baskets and baskets of bread and fish left over. All because a little boy said, "What well, I, I don't have very much, Lord, but if you need it and you want it, here it is. It's yours. Take it. If you give life, your, if you give God your life, your abilities, your voice, your hands, everything you have, it may not seem like very much, but if you give it to God, He takes it, He'll break it, and He'll use it to reach the multitudes, to feed the multitudes. Church, can we stand up as we go before the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before your presence. We thank you this morning for your grace and mercy, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we do have a testimony, Lord, that you have touched our hearts and you have touched our minds, Lord. Wow, okay. I'm going to stop right there. I was getting ready to end, but I really feel God said this. There are some of you here today that don't have that testimony. There are some of you in this sanctuary right now that don't have a testimony. You're going through that hardship. You're going through it and you're plowing through it and you're wondering when is God going to show up? Can we have our church leader, can we have our prayers come to the front please? Our, our church um, prayer team come to the front. I, don't, I, I, I feel this is really important. I'm sorry, I know it's just a little bit late. This morning, if that's you, if you feel you don't have a testimony, if you feel like you're just going through a hardship and you really haven't experienced the fulfillment and love and peace that Jesus Christ has to offer, I want to invite you to the front. We want to pray for you for breakthrough. We want to pray that you would receive what God has for you to receive. That you would not leave away from the well thirsting but that you would leave this morning knowing that God has touched you, that God has spoken to you, and that God has commissioned you to go out and share your story with others. If that's you this morning, will you come to the front? Find someone to go with and pray with them. They want to pray with you. They're going to lay hands on you. They're, going to, they're just going to minister to you. If that's you this morning, I want you to come to the front. Now we're going to go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before your presence. We thank you this morning for your grace and mercy. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would give your people, Lord, a spirit of boldness, dear God, Lord, that is unlike any other, Lord. Lord, that we would not be ashamed of who we are, that we would not be ashamed of who you are, Lord. Lord, that you would give us such a boldness, Lord, that we could point others towards you, that we would share our stories as insignificant as they are, our testimonies as insignificant as they are, that we would share them where you called us to share them. Lord, that you would use us, dear God, Lord, to bring salvation, hope, joy, peace into the lives of those walking in darkness, Lord. I thank you this morning for your grace, Lord. I thank you for your mercy. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us, Lord. Lord, that we would walk out these church that we would walk out these doors knowing that we have not left the church. 
but knowing that we are the church walking in the streets walking in our places of employment walking among our family in our community that we would reach our community lord let this church move in this city in jesus name amen